Welcome to No Challenges Remaining, live from the third night of the Australian Open. It feels like it's so much longer than that, uh, but it's only night three here, Wednesday evening. I'm Ben Rothenberg, but time will fly by because it'll be fun talking to my dear friend Reem Abuleil, who is here on NCR and in Melbourne once again. Reem, so happy you're with us on the show again. Hello. Hi, thanks for having me. I feel like it's been a while. I feel like it has been a while, actually, right? yeah. I haven't been corresponding from the Middle East yeah. often. <laughs> and Sierra's Middle East correspondent, Rima Vallejo. <laughs> well, happy to have you corresponding here from Melbourne. And we're actually going to talk a little about the Arab world and Angebur. This weirdly turned into a very specific two-part podcast, which is going to be a all-intensive breakdown of the two players in the third round match between unseated Caroline Wozniacki and unseated Angebur. Obviously, everyone's headline story, but Wozniacki was a big story today. It's probably the story of the day of day three. Coming back from double breakdown in both the first and second sets to beat Diana Yastrzemska, a match that many had pointed to as her obvious stopping point in this tournament. I didn't think it was unwinnable, but it was going to be tough, and it was tough, and she got through, so that was great. You want to talk about that match briefly? Did you watch that match? I didn't watch m- much of you were watching, it, yeah, you were but watching. I could, yeah, because I was watching other people, including Ons. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I was surprised because I was with Yastrzemska all week in Adelaide and could see what she's capable of doing, and she made the final there. So I definitely was one of those people who was kind of not 100% sure that Yastrzemska would win because I feel like Caroline Wozniacki is the kind of person who, when she gets motivated, when she has this fire inside her, she's capable of doing things that maybe not many people expect. Yeah. So I, I, I didn't necessarily think that Yastrzemska would win, but I was surprised that it was in two sets because I was following the score and I was like, I did not expect this to finish all of yeah. a sudden. Down 5-1 in the first set and down 3-0 yeah. early double break in the second. So we're going to do this episode in two halves. The first one I'm going to insert here, an interview I did earlier this afternoon with the other Danish player who's been in Grand Slam tennis for the last decade or so, uh, Freddie Nielsen, who is a double specialist who's played some singles for a long time too. I don't know if he's totally stopped in singles now, but anyway, that's not where he mostly made his name for himself. I first heard of him, and I think probably most people first heard of him when Wozniacki took him as her partner when she played Hotman Cup in 2012. They needed a Danish guy, and Freddie Nielsen was there and brought on it. Actually, Freddie was on NCR back in the early days, like 2013, like episode, I want to say like 31, 32, somewhere in that range, uh, from Indian Wells 2013. I'm pretty sure we interviewed him there. Anyway, so we, I talked to him about just his thoughts on the end of the Wozniacki era coming. He's known her pretty much better, certainly longer than anybody else at these tournaments, and his very interesting, very frank blunt, insightful guy. So hopefully you enjoy Freddie. Then I'll be back with Reem on the other side to talk about Caroline's next opponent. I first saw you, I first met you at Popman Cup in 2012 mm-hmm. when you were her partner there. And now, I guess eight years later, uh, if I don't know, it feels like sort of a, for me, it feels sort of like the end of an era with Wozniacki on tour. I'm just wondering for you as someone else who's been the other Danish tennis player on tour pretty much the whole time, what, is, what does it feel like for you? Uh, that her career is coming to an end. It is a bit surreal because she's been a she's been a mainstay in uh, in the Grand Slams for Danish sports, and she's probably the biggest sports star Denmark has had since Michael Laudrup and Peter Schmeichel. And uh, what is she top five most best paid female athletes in the world? I mean, she's a huge star worldwide, and you know she announced her retirement on uh, Good Morning America, not Good Morning Denmark. So she's a huge <laughs> international star. Yeah. So it is it is a little bit sad because 
tennis is one of the biggest sports in the world, certainly the biggest female sport in the world, in my opinion. And uh, to have one of the biggest stars is it's great and inspiring for Denmark and something that I think we're going to appreciate even more when she's gone because she's a great personality, great figure, and it's always, I mean, her endurance and consistency is extraordinary. Uh, you probably have the numbers. I don't know how many Grand Slams in a row. I don't remember her missing a Grand mm. Slam. Not for a while, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe one here and there. One but French Open once, I think, yeah. And But apart from that, she's always been around, and you always expect her to go to the second week, and that's exciting. It's gonna, Even though we have some good upcoming talents, it's probably going to be a while before we, we're going to have that experience again. You obviously came from a tennis family, but I'm curious when you first... So you've had tennis your whole life, but I'm curious when you first heard of Caroline. Oh, when she was very young. Yeah. I played her in the final of Danish and Mixed Doubles Championships when she was 13. Ah, so yeah what do you remember about her from back then oh it was very clear early on that she was talented she won the danish national championships when she was 13 i think or 13 for grown-ups oh then like adult championships wow yeah i actually played her in the final of mixed yeah so i mean she was legit early on and everybody knew about her she uh she started very early on the national center where i was so i've known her for a long long time since she was very small and she obviously always stood out because you can tell when something special comes along, especially in a small country like Denmark, where that kind of stuff doesn't happen too often. What was special? Like what? What caught your eye? Determination, like nothing else I've ever seen. Um, being able to say um, just small things, going on TV when she was fourteen, fifteen, not flinching at all when saying she wants to be number one in the world, backing it, saying okay, she was she was ruthless in the sense that she wanted this and she did it, and whatever it takes, she was gonna get it done. She. Uh, she she trained better than anybody else. Uh, she used to help she could get in Denmark. If she didn't get enough help, she would go elsewhere. She uh, she had her eye on the target and she followed it. She she talked the talk and she walked the walk, and uh, in a way that we obviously haven't seen in Denmark. I mean, those qualities you describe there's a lot about champions, where there's a lot of players and very good players at this tournament and Australian Open who don't have all those things. I mm-hmm. mean. There's something, I guess, even among these elite players, she has something that separates her, mm-hmm. you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. And you can see that determination. It took a chronic illness for her to really drop out of the, the top. And the only other time she she was close to dropping out, she was uh, she was playing with an injury for a long time. And then she had a good run in the US Open to stop that. But apart from that, if you see when she first broke through, she's up there with, with the best in the world in consistency. And she... She's always been around, and she won her Grand Slam pretty late on, after being number one in the world. And in the meantime, how many number ones in the world has come and gone, and are not really a, a force in the game anymore, but she's still there. She's still competing. She's still a nuisance for the big players to play against, and she's going to give everybody a match, despite her having a terrible chronic illness that is obviously probably more hurtful for a player like her compared to other players that don't rely as much on on being able to to grind down opponents and I know that she also likes to put in a lot of hours in training but she just can't do that anymore but she's still competitive yeah. and I think that says a lot about her determination she doesn't moan or whine too much on the court she just gets on with it you know she never shows sadness I've never seen her show sadness on a court she shows grit uh, and yeah you've seen her f- fiery side of course yeah. like everybody and uh, you need that sometimes but she's more like she when when 
when she's got her back against the wall, she she comes out fighting and biting and striking. And if if somebody underestimates her, she's gonna show them, and uh, that's a big uh, credit to her and her character. I love I love what you said at the beginning about Good Morning America, making like a world star that she is now. I'm curious when you first sort of noticed that when you were first like, wow, this she's doing is getting the level of attention that's sort of bigger than just a a tennis player because she's always even I think through her whole pretty quickly in her career she was getting a lot of admiration a lot of attention from a, a big audience. Yeah, I think it really really next level started when she started getting those uh, in Sports Illustrated. I think that was the game changer for her, where she went up a up a level. Before that, she was obviously big and a big star, but that felt like it. It took it to the next level, and was it three years in a row she was on the cover or something like that? Of, of what? A of, Sports Illustrated swimsuit edition. Oh, I don't know if she was on the cover. Well, something like that. Okay. Anyway, I'm but not she sure. had something. She, I think she even had a record. Nobody had been picked, and uh, that was kind of to me what okay, this is yeah. the next level. How is her being this big, this big like you know star? She has sort of like like a star, like an actual star in space. She has gravitational pull, and all these people like there's like I don't know eight or nine Danish reporters probably at this tournament mm-hmm. for her last ones, and so they're here and they also maybe talk to you. You were doing a bunch of interviews before this. I'm just curious, like how often sort of like Wozniacki's orbit has caught you in it? Just Me? From being, yeah, just from Not being. Much. I, I guess Hopman Cup Hop, Hop was one example where... Hopman Cup was one example, of course, when I've been with her in uh, the Olympics twice as a hitting partner. I was talking about her at the Grand Slams. The, the, the journalists usually ask one or two questions, but it hasn't been too much, yeah. uh, to be honest, from, from that point of view. I guess you mean in a, in a, on, on the big scene or whatever. I don't know. I just, I just don't know if, if her being in tennis has made tennis a bigger thing in Denmark, which has then had an effect on you, is what basically my question. Well, I got to go to the Olympics because yeah. of her. Yeah, I played the Hopman Cup because of her. You know, they didn't ask me to come and find yeah. a girl partner. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, yeah. uh, so, in that sense, uh, she's she's uh, she's responsible for those experiences. Yeah. And, uh, but apart from that, she's just been a very good friend. Yeah. Yeah. What is she like off court? We see her obviously so much on court, and you were mostly describing her on court in terms yeah. of her intensity and everything. oh she's got the same intensity yeah. you play games or whatever she's insane she what wants game, to what win. games does she best well, whatever it is if she if you if she goes to play golf she wants to win if she goes to play go-kart she wants to win if she whatever it does uh, she's very funny she's um, a very pleasant company and an extremely good friend so uh they're uh, yeah she's a great person when you were working with her as a hitting partner what did you sort of sense from her on court? What were those sessions like? There's nothing special. I knew how she practiced. I've seen her around when we were at tournaments. I would hit with her if she wants it. Uh, she was pretty intense. Rio wasn't too much because I didn't play too much with her. Uh, London was a bit more. But yeah, she was. She likes to train. She trains hard and she trains determined. And she's... I think that's also one of the reasons she's been for the top at that long. Yeah. Uh, like I said, she has her eye on the prize and she walks the walk and she does that every day in training. Whatever it is, whatever it is she has to do, she does it. You can even see it with the marathon. She's a great runner. Yeah. Uh, and when she wants to run a marathon, she plays her match and then she goes training after playing a match and yeah. winning and has to come back the next day. She still goes to run 10Ks or 15Ks yeah. or whatever it wants. So she's, uh, 
She's intense in a good way. You're a bit older than her, obviously, but you had your best results after she got to number one. And I'm curious if she at all was an inspiration for you or, or some sort of with her work ethic or anything or just showing what was possible for a Danish person in tennis, if she was at all uh, an example. She was an example, but I, not really for me because uh, I never really thought I was particularly good. <laughs> so I didn't really have any big ambitions in the game. So I wasn't comparing myself to a Caroline who was a world beater and number one in the world. Um, so, so in that sense, I would, I, c- I can't really, unfortunately, say she inspired me because I was just too bad of a player to really share those <laughs> ambitions. Yeah. Uh, but uh, you're but still a Wimbledon champion. You just yes, yeah. I realize. Yeah, yeah, but but it's not like I went into Wimbledon trying to win Wimbledon or having the ambitions. That it just sort of happened. Uh, like everything else yeah. in my tennis career, when I started playing, I didn't think I was going to be able to win one ATP point. So the fact that I'm still here is pretty mesmerizing. But she, uh, yeah, it is inspiring to see that you can come from Denmark and you can take it to the next level. And in a, in a way, she has inspired me in the in 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 the way that she was, how to say it, in her no nonsense approach. Yeah, like I'm gonna do this, and if you can help me, fine. If not, I appreciate your your approach, but I'm gonna get other help here and. That's maybe something I never did myself. I never pushed myself to, to to get out of my comfort zone, maybe in training, and uh, and 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 never really did that. So that's why I can say she wasn't inspiring to me in the sense that I wasn't at a level to be inspired because I was just so shit. Yeah. But uh, <laughs> but but she should have been inspiring because she did, she was the first ever in Denmark to do what she did yeah. and she was a pioneer in that way and she showed the way how you could do it from Denmark without you know excuses yeah. just get it done and now there's two junior number ones after her yeah. in Holger and Clara exactly yeah. and obviously people know that it can be done now yeah in terms of that you mentioned you not going to Wimbledon thinking you, you wanted to, or planning on winning Wimbledon she was a very ambitious person for a long time and also got to number one very early in her career mm-hmm. and so then had expectations that went along with that and a lot of pressure and went a long time before she, between when she first got to number one and when she won her Grand Slam. And I'm curious what you saw in terms of like the pressure that she had either in tennis or domestically. I don't know what Danish media was like with her uh, as she went on, just what, what, what the sort of pressures well, of being Caroline were. Because a lot of people, critics would say that her career was like incomplete for a long time because she hadn't won the Grand Slam. But I don't know if yeah. you saw it that way or if she saw it that way or public saw it that way. I don't think she saw it that way. I think she understands what was happening. Danish press is very fickle when it comes to sport. When you're on the up and things are going well, they're unbelievably supportive. But if you don't maintain or keep that up, they quickly start putting you down. We have a thing in Denmark called the Yende Law. It's like a social moral code to live by. Okay. And basically it is don't think you're better than anybody else. And you are not special. So they're, which obviously is not a great match for sports. Yeah, especially individual sports. Especially yeah. individual sports, and therefore, um, when she when she was very good, and she, then yeah, she, they were pretty quick to be somewhat critical in the sense, yeah, she's number one, but Serena's injured, but this and that. Yeah, but come on, she hasn't won a Grand Slam, this and that, and it's not just her it's all over sports and obviously she receives more attention because she's a bigger star and there are more news stories she's more current tennis goes from january to november four grand slams every year so there's obviously more highlights throughout the year uh so she obviously 
is a little bit of a victim of her own success. Yeah. But I think she always handled it well. She's pretty tough, yeah. tough skinned uh, and thick skinned, and she uses it fuel. Yeah. Like if you tell her that she can't do it, she'll do it. And and I think it never really affected her in that way. Did you watch your match today against Yastrzemska? Yeah, I was preparing for my own match, but I was watching a little bit in the background. Yeah. Know. What is what are the sort of emotions just for you seeing her in what, in what could have been her last match? It looked like it was going to be. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, obviously she's not. She's had a hard time with her illness, and it feels weird that she's already quitting because she's not even turned 30. However, it also feels like she's been around forever. But it's weird. It's weird to know that this is her last match. Yeah. And I was thinking for a little bit in the second set that I hope she wins this one because she had a lot of match points and didn't convert after an amazing comeback in the yeah. first and the second. Like this would be a, just an awful way to go after such a good performance. It just hopes. I really hope that she goes out in a way where she can. I mean, I think she'll always find peace because she knows she always does her best. But just in a way where she goes, that was that was all right. Thank you very much, Freddie. You're welcome. So, Rimad, I wanted to talk to you. A couple, you had a near miss in this tournament uh, in the men's side with Mohamed Safwat of Egypt. You've had two actually Egyptian players in this tournament, Safwat, and then a female Egyptian player too. Can Maya you Sharif. Yeah. 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 What has it been like? And now, and you've had Anjabur obviously establishing herself as a pretty solid top hundred player at this point from Tunisia. What has it been like for you, I guess, as a reporter from this region and from this region, uh, and just a supporter of tennis from this region too, seeing uh, the Arab world get it kind of a foothold suddenly in uh, in Grand Slam tennis in a way it hasn't had that much within times we've been covering tennis at least it's definitely been uh, it's refreshing for me especially that there's more than one egyptian and especially that there were two egyptians at a slam because Safwat is not always at the slams he he's always in qualies he has never qualified before outright he once got a lucky lucky loser spot at uh roland garros uh, 2018 he played Grigor Dimitrov, who at the time was a top four seed, and he played him on center court, and he yeah. found out like half an hour before, and it was like a huge deal because it was the first time in like 22 years that an Egyptian played a Grand Slam. But uh, this was the first time that Safwat qualified outright, so I thought that was really cool. He didn't drop his head through qualifying. But also, there's an Egyptian woman who is ranked in the top 200, which is the first time ever. Some people count Heidi Tabakh, but Heidi Tabakh, was when she broke into the top 200. Playing for Canada. Yeah, she was playing for Canada. Um, incidentally, Heidi, by the way, was watching Safwat and was cheering on him and speaking oh, nice. to him. Yeah, because uh, that is was. She still, is she still Canadian Fed Cup captain? She is, yeah. yeah. So she's here as Canadian Fed Cup captain, but she did make it to Safwat's court for his first round in, in the main draw. So it's it's been great in the sense that I've we've had Ons Jabir and Malik Jaziri for a long time. And Melek last year almost made it into the top 40, but now he dropped way down. He's outside the top 200. Yeah. Um, hopefully he will come back. But uh, this was great because there were like, there's multiple storylines. There's Mayor Sharif, who's like, this is her first ever kind of Grand Slam qualifying. She jumped from being unranked into the top 200 in one year in 2019. Wow. Yeah, so she played college tennis, so she wasn't really playing on the pro tour and stuff like that. Which college did you play for again? Pepperdine. Pepperdine yeah. Yeah. And she made semis NCAAs. So, oh, wow. uh, yeah, so she, she she kind of has this 
confidence I think that she gets from that because she was a good college tennis player and obviously she won like more than 70 matches last year on the ITF circuit. So she's someone who I'm kind of looking forward to see what she's going to do. And also she qualified for the Olympics because she won African Games gold and so did Safwat. So both of them should be at the Olympics if they are still ranked in the top 300 when the cutoff in June comes along. So there's kind of a lot going on this year and I'm excited, but I'm obviously particularly excited about Ons and what she's been able to do. What is the state of, I think we've talked about this with you on the show years ago, so we can re- have a refresh for this conversation, but what is sort of the state of tennis in the Arab world currently? Obviously, there's been big tournaments in Doha and Dubai for a lot of years. Uh, two of essentially, well, one, it alternates of the sort of WTA Premier Fives, which is essentially a master's level tournament for the women. And uh, the men, Doha, I guess, went down in stature this year with ATP Cup going the same week. Um, but they also have the big Dubai 500. Uh, more and more players are training in Dubai in the off season. I guess, so what, what, yeah, what is the sort of, is tennis improving, growing? And I know like sort of the, t- the thought or the talk from a long time, I feel like has been that hoping that this, having tennis stop in the Middle East on the title of the tour would help tennis in the region in terms of local players playing. Has that borne out really or no or, or what is what is going on in the middle East, in arab world I, that's the best way to refer to it i think that no i think we're still exactly where we were in terms of when we spoke the last time with the exception of one thing so i'll tell you why everything's still the same i don't think that if you bring top players and have them around that will change much maybe there's going to be more fandom you know maybe there's going to be more people going to watch but at the end of the day, the, the source of our problems is always that there is no system. There aren't proper coaches. You don't have these national tennis centers that are established, that bring great coaches, that know exactly what to do with a promising junior. That no. you know, We don't have that. And as long as that is lacking, I don't think anything will change much. We'll always have these exceptions like Ons or Safwat or this or that. The one thing I feel that is a bit different is that one big one important thing in general in sports is having role models. And yeah. that is happening right now. And I think that... With us, especially like in Egypt with squash, every time I speak to, because Egypt are super dominant in squash, like five of the top 10 or six of the top 10 in men and women are Egyptian. And when I speak with them, they keep saying, well, I grew up seeing this guy. I I grew up seeing this girl, et cetera. Obviously, squash is a different case and it's not as expensive, et cetera. But with tennis, I feel now, the fact that someone like Mayor is top 200, that Ons is an established top 100, almost made top 50. She was 51 in the world last year. She has big goals. She's playing these big tournaments. She's beating these big players. Safwat actually told me that the reason he got an extra push, one of the reasons was that he saw that Jaziri Atta, like in his 30s, was able to peak and get into the top 50 and stuff like that. So he was like, that made me think, hey, like, why not? So I think that that will play a factor, but it's not going to lead to having 10 players from the region all of a sudden in the top 300. I mean, Emirati players, you know, getting direct into Dubai. Especially ever. that region. Yeah. There's always a differentiation between North Africa and uh, the Gulf region yeah. because it is very different. The way we grow up, the way the kind of passion for sport, even the climate, they, they have warmer weather longer in the year than we do. So they're not outdoors much. Most of the Emirati kids or something, they're, they're indoors playing video games because it's too hot. Yeah. We, we have it in a different way. Uh, where no, you go to in, in Egypt, like I can speak about Cairo. I go to I go to any club that has tennis courts, and they're packed to the brim with kids. The passion is there, 
It's just lack of money, lack of system that's not helping create these players. They both have like what the other kind of wants. Exactly. Yeah. I've always said it. Like if you get the money from the Gulf and, and fund some players from North Africa, it would be a completely different story. And there has been support across the region. I mean, because like Dubai tournament will give wild cards routinely to players from other Arab countries. Yes, that definitely yeah. makes a difference. And, and Safot has benefit for, benefited from that. Ons as well and Melek, that makes obviously a big difference. Uh, so yes, and and Egypt also because we have all these futures and stuff. So like we would used to at least like give a Qatari player ranked uh, who doesn't have a ranking, yeah. we'd get him into our futures and stuff. Can you talk more specifically? Let's talk about Ons um, because she is for people who've watched her, and hopefully I hope that the NCR demographic overlaps pretty highly with people who've watched an Ons Jabbar match because I think she's a lot of what we enjoy about tennis. She is such a fun player to watch, so creative. Um, plays with a clear joy for the game and also like an irreverence for the game at the same time that I find very appealing in her. Uh, lots of drop shots, lots of like fun shot making. She played a match, I believe, in Moscow a couple years ago against Kasakina. That was one of like the best matches of the decade. I genuinely believe that in terms of definitely at least tour level matches. It was so good. Um, what makes her, what makes On special, do you think? You watch her way more than I have, obviously. I think. Onsa's personality is reflected in her game because she's so playful, whether on the court or off the court. I, I mean, one of my favorite things to do is just watch Ons walk through the player's restaurant. It is hilarious because she has not been on tour that much. And every man and woman across both tours, including physios, including boyfriends, include like the other day, like <laughs> Shea Su Wei's boyfriend stops and says hello to her and her husband and just chats forever. And then Monfils in a breakfast in Beijing stops her. And, and I'm like, how do you know all these people? And how do they genuinely want to come say hello to you? <laughs> so yeah, She has that charisma, though. Yeah. And it's the same with her husband as well. And so they're kind of now like this power couple. In the it way. couple of yeah. That's cool. It's, it's pretty cool to see. But and that is kind of reflected in, in her game and just like she wants to have fun. She's yeah. not out there to grind or bore the hell out of anybody. She doesn't want to do that. She she finds she has this part of where of her where I am here to entertain. That's that's you mentioned Malfis is someone drawn to her. She's like that's almost who I think obviously doesn't have his results yet, but the ethos is the same. And it's honestly something you don't see as much of as in women's tennis. You don't see the women women tend to be usually for better but all sometimes for their own you know wear and tear much more serious much more critical of themselves and yet on says this sort of lightness about her mm-hmm. on tour um which maybe is a similar thing with monfils also and that it can frustrate people people think she's not all the way dedicated sometimes or think that she could be more focused in matches or out of matches on her career or on her results uh yeah i get i think the monfils and then all but also like crazy athletic like i remember patrick mortaglu telling me about how incredible ons is as a soccer player she is she's um she has unbelievable soccer skills yeah so Football skills. Just i like, believe you got me to say soccer huh? <laughs> <laughs> the overall yeah athleticism is no great. like she she once put a video that i always dig up on her facebook ages ago where she does the ronaldo dribble thing in the mm-hmm. air with a te- with a tennis ball and it's unbelievable that she can just do it like that no she she's a really good football player and that's actually why she keeps saying i she likes playing on grass because she's like that's the closest i feel <laughs> to being on a football pitch <laughs> what does um what does what's made her improve as much as she had since she's been on tour for a while what's made her get better and what do you think she can still do to get uh to even unlock more of her potential I think uh, one of the key things was once her husband, who used to be a professional fencer, as became officially became her fitness trainer, uh, he started traveling with her full time and 
he just got her a lot more motivated about putting in the work off the court. Uh, so that's been for me uh, from the outside I see it as a significant improvement she's oh, she's constantly trying to get fitter she said it today in press that she knows she's, she still needs to lose a little bit of weight and stuff like that but she definitely looks fitter now even compared to end of yeah. last season uh, they, he kind of is, is the kind of guy who takes her for runs on the beach and takes her for runs up hills and downhill and stuff like that so I think he makes it fun he knows her really well he knows what, how, what can make her tick uh, so that has been probably the most significant thing. She also now believes in herself a lot more. I think that comes with just every every milestone she hits. Uh, just whether it was making the third round of a Grand Slam the first time, now she's made three. Whether it's uh, beating a top 10 player, whether it's making a WTA final, all of these things help uh, a bit. And I think... And I remember someone Steven said that to me last year when I spoke to her about Ons, in that because she has this wide range of basically weapons, she can yeah. do everything. She can hit the ball really well, but she can also slice and dice and do all these things. It, it's not that's a kind of game that takes a while to shape. That's a kind of game where you need to learn what to use when. Yeah. Everyone says that about Federer and all sorts of players like that. But yeah. Yeah. So so I think it took her time. Uh, I think she had some stability with the coach she has right now, who is Bertrand Perret. So at least that also helped that because she was changing a lot for a while and then he was with her for a bit. And um, yeah, Ons is the kind of person, she's kind of her own boss from a very young age because she won Wimbledon. Uh, no, she won Roland Garros Juniors when she was like 16 or 15. I can't remember. But she's she's kind of always tried to be like her own boss. She makes her own decisions. About, and and sometimes you're not really capable of doing that. So it was kind of a trial and error thing with her. Yeah. Now she's 25. She's married. She has her husband traveling with her. She's She told me what I like, actually, that this year she decided to like go really big with her goals. She's like, I want to be top 20. I want to make Zhuhai. Yes. Uh, she, she's, I'm excited to hear yeah. that. I'm excited to hear <laughs> but, that. And she said... Because she doesn't always seem hungry. That's the thing. And, yeah. that, and she admits that. So yeah. she said she regrets that after the 2017... Uh, 2018 season where she made the Moscow final uh, she was like I said I want to be top 50 and then I became top 51 which is almost top 50 and she, <laughs> and she was like I'm top 51 <laughs> exactly whatever but she was like I and then I was like so what do I do now like I, she was like I was just looking around not knowing what to do she was like I should have aimed higher and she's like she said that at the end of last year right after Moscow uh, she, because she she lost early in most. She said, "I sat with everybody and I said, I'm done. We have to set big goals. I'm not gonna set my sell myself short." And I really like that. I really really like seeing that in her because you can see it on the court already, just from the first couple of weeks of the year. Yeah. Well, thank you very much, Rain, for being on here, staying late on a Wednesday night to talk to our NCR listeners. They can follow you on Twitter at Rima Abelale. Your username is easy. And also on Patreon. Yes. Uh, can, you, can you plug your Patreon here real quick? We want to get our followers to follow you there. It's I believe it's patreon.com slash reemabulil or maybe reem-abulil, one or the other. But if you Google it, it's easy to find. And what will they find there? Well, what I try to do is a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff, anything that didn't make it in a big interview that I did that got cut, and so a lot of more insight to stories that I've done, a lot of audio interviews, a lot of video. So, yeah. A lot will be coming your way from Melbourne. Very cool. Thank you very much for being here. And thank you guys for listening to No Challenges Remaining. If you want to follow along when you're not listening, you can do so by following us on Twitter. It's the best way to do it, at NCR underscore tennis. So it's questions, comments, whatever, to nochallengesremaining at gmail.com. And leave us nice reviews on whatever platform 
you get your podcast on iTunes, etc. Those help us out. And if you don't want to leave a nice review, why are you even listening? Honestly, that's all from Melbourne day three. We hope you enjoy the big Wozniacki Jabur match, which we dedicate this whole episode to. It's coming to you on Friday. Big showdown. Wozniacki Jabur Friday. <sighs> Bye, guys. <laughs> Take that out. <laughs> now leaving that in. <laughs>